0: Welcome to Dead Headspace Spotlights, a mini episode of our regular show. Only here, authors give a brief reading, and we also have a uh, conversation. This show is a part of Silver Shamrock's HorrorCast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and UnBurying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co host, Brian LaFaro. Say hi, Brian. Hello, everybody. And in this second episode, we are proud to introduce S.A. Hunt. Say hello. Hello. Can you tell us a little bit about what we what potential readers should expect from this reading and
1: maybe why you picked it? Um Well, I guess I would start off by saying um, <laughs> I showed my grandparents some of my writing one time and they said that I needed more Jesus. So, so, yeah, it's, I guess you could say it's a little brisk, maybe a little, you know, rough. Um, I try to make sure there's a lot of action, but I try, also try to make sure there's a lot of, like, characterization. You know, I want people to care about my characters. And to do that, you have to get to know them.
0: That's, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, what is the reading that you're, you're going to do? Like, what, what is it from?
1: It is a passage from a short story that I did a couple years ago now. It's called The Bear Suit. It's kind of a horror comedy.
0: Nice. Brennan, anything, sir?
2: I'm just thinking, I can't think of a much, you know, better blurb to put in front of that than, you know, I was told I need more Jesus. Um, <laughs> I, I'm already looking forward to it. <laughs> So, Samara, can you tell uh, listeners who are new to your work just a little bit about yourself, what you go for in your writing, and just kind of your little background to your career?
1: Um, well, I was raised, you know, in the Appalachian Mountains. I'm kind of a hillbilly, as you can probably tell by my accent. I love it. <laughs> um. Gosh, I've done all kinds of things. I've written since I was in high school. I used to think I was going to write the next big fantasy novel, you know, like Lord of the Rings or whatever. But I turned out to it seems like everything I write has a a certain element of horror to it. Um, I think my favorite book series to read would be The Dark Tower by Stephen King. (laughs) So maybe that kind of gives you an idea of where I like to go.
0: What, um, I, I got to ask, of the series, what do you have a favorite book?
1: Um, I guess it would be either The Drawing of the Three or Wastelands.
0: <laughs> I think we just became best friends. <laughs> I could talk all day about three. I could talk all day about two. What is it about those two books in particular that stands out to you? Cause there's what, like uh seven and a half books, and I'm throwing a random number out there, but I think it's like four million words.
1: Well, it's got a lot of the the solo action from like the first book, The Gunslinger, and it's I really appreciate stories where it kind of focuses on one character and it, it, you kind of ex- you have a better chance to explore that character. And I don't know, it just feels like there's more opportunities for characterization when it's just one person. And, you know, mixed with the dreamlike um, kind of ethereal quality of the earlier books you know as the as the series goes along i think it gets more and more uh distinct i guess is you know let's less um rc is not really a good word for it but that's kind of what i'm thinking of you know mm-hmm. number th- number impressionistic two. impressionistic okay. that's what i'm looking for
0: when i first read when i first read the drawing of the three I don't even know where to start. It's just like you got these weird crab things that kind of speak. And when you enter, um, oh, God, I forget his name. The one that is a uh, kind of acts like a gunslinger and he's naked <laughs> in the bar. Um, I, I I just I was blown away. I'm like, this is so Fantastic. Um, and the Wastelands, one part that sticks out to me off the bat is when they can see through the floor and they see this, like, the the ground level where it's these creatures that are so nightmarish that it almost breaks your brain. Uh, I, I almost wonder, like, if, St- <laughs> if Stephen King was on something. And if not, I just want to kind of ride that. But I'm a little... Well scared to go in his brain for that, so I'll shut the hell up and let you talk now. Um I can
1: I can pretty much guarantee he was on something. Have you <laughs> have, have you seen the trailer he did for uh what was it Maximum Overdrive? Yeah. It's You've ridiculous. got to look that up on YouTube, it's hilarious. It's it is. It's it's like kind of like creep show. <laughs> yeah.
0: Brennan, take us away, man. You're the biggest fan that I know of the series. And
2: well, I, I don't want to keep us talking Dark Tower all day I actually was curious you said you originally wanted to write fantasy was the Outlaw King series kind of your first shot at this is that that's what you were kind of going for
1: yeah um, I had read like the first half of the series I guess before I went to Afghanistan When was, when did the last book come out I don't remember was that after uh,
0: 2010? The, the the very last one?
1: Yeah.
2: The Wind Through the Keyhole came out in like 2011 or 12 or something like that. Yeah, that sounds Okay,
1: fine. yeah. Yeah, so I just read like the first half of the series by then. And when I was in Afghanistan, I was in the Army for eight and a half years, and I went to Afghanistan in 2010. And while I was there, um, okay, this is a whole nother tangent, but like... I was there and, you know, you've got Taliban rockets going over your head. You know, you're on a blackout base and, um, you know, you're just surrounded by danger and you think, you know what, I could die here. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, you know what, those things you always wanted to do, you better go ahead and do them because you don't know when you're going to have another chance. And, you know, I've been trying to write and trying to write all my life. And so I thought while I was over there, you know what? When I get home, I'm going to write some books. That's what I'm going to do. Because if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? And while I was over there, you know, when we went to go get our mail, um, we had to go to another base, another forward operating base. And so we would all get up in this convoy and go across the desert. And you see a lot of desert and not a whole lot of trees or grass. And I thought, as we were going across this desolate landscape, you know what? This would be a really cool place for a gunslinger story. You know, and so I I got it in my head that I kind of wanted to write what I call a falafel western. You know, you got your spaghetti western. I wanted to write a falafel western. (laughs) I wanted to write, yeah, I wanted to write a western with a Middle Eastern tinge to it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, they got a fascinating mythology too, uh, Middle East. So, I, I know you have got some books with Tor. Um, how did that come about? Because that's a big deal.
1: Well, it all started with my author friend, um, Christopher Ruse or Ruz. I'm not sure how it pronounces it. He's another author. He does he does really good horror and some fantasy. And he let me know that there was an agent on Twitter that was looking on the manuscript wish list hashtag for a fantasy western that was a lot like mine. And so I pitched him with *The Outlaw King*. But what he ended up subbing or submitting to Tor was um, my *Mouse Domestica series. And Tor had been my dream publisher for a long time, ever since I was a kid. And, you know, going into Walden Books and picking up, you know, stuff by Mercedes Lackey and, you know, just stuff like that. Um, and I, I, there was just always some special place in my heart for that that publisher. You know, going go to the mall in like the late 90s, go to Walden Books and pick up the old stuff, you know, legacy stuff. And so that was kind of my dream, published for a long time. And that's who we ended up going with.
0: That's fantastic. That's awesome. Seriously, that's so cool because anyone that hears this, if I'm a young kid, if, if I'm thinking personally of myself when I'm 13, I'm like, I can write, but I can never be whoever. That's cool to hear. Um, you never
1: know. I mean, look at where Stephen King came from. I mean, he grew up in what, a trailer park? Yeah, yeah. You never he- know.
0: He was so poor that he could not even receive uh, a telephone call for um, the to get the news that he got a contract for Carrie. Uh, Brendan, it sounded like you had a question, man.
2: Yeah. So, if I mean, if we have somebody who is new to your work listening, and they go to Amazon and they type in S.A. hunt" and they get this list of all the stuff you've put out. How would you you know, help somebody decide where to start with your catalog?
1: Um, well, I would say if they want to do something short, just get a taste of it and go with the fear suit. Because I think that's the best and newest of my short stuff. But if you want to just jump straight into the long stuff, I would go with the um, burn the dark. Because I think that's more representative of where my talent is now
0: okay what what how's that separate um, from any other book that you're talking about because you say now what does that exactly mean
1: I'm not sure I understand the question
0: Brendan can you help me out I, I <laughs> word diary is sure. happening at the moment
2: um w- I, what I think you mean and I could be off uh, m- maybe my Patrick interpreter is not working but uh what I th- <laughs> You, you mean is how is that series different than the fantasy one you just told us about
1: yep oh, man thank you <laughs> <laughs> well um, well the malice domestica series has more of a horror bent like I guess you could say with the outlaw King series it's a it's a western horror fantasy malice domestica you know burn the dark and all that is more the horror is more up front. It's more horror up front with fantasy in the back. Okay, perfect. And um,
0: sorry, go ahead.
1: I feel like it's more immediately accessible. Um, I think the characters are more accessible and relatable. Okay, yeah, I'm that's.
0: Not,
1: a- <laughs> I'm not sure. It's kind of hard to quantify, to be honest. Sorry about that. No, not
0: not at all. Uh, you know what? If you're okay with it. We would love to hear you reading now.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to read from the fear suit. No, get that out of here. Ground control to Major Tom, said the cop. I rubbed my eye. Suddenly, I felt like lying down and taking a long nap. Look. This is a long story, and I can't promise you're going to believe all of it, but none of it is bullshit. I took a deep breath. Me and my friends bought a bear costume on Craigslist for my friend Dylan to wear to the convention in Oxford this weekend, but it turns out that the suit is haunted by an 18th century French fur trapper, and now Dylan's possessed and he's going around killing the people responsible for him being in the suit. There are, I glanced at the wall over the cop's shoulder and tallied up names, five people dead so far. Two of them are up on the lookout point right now, and there are two down in Roanoke if nobody's found them yet. And my friend Stephen in his apartment the other day, but Aniston Police knows about them. The cop stared at me like the receptionist had. It's not a joke, sir, I said as earnestly as I could manage. College kids. He shook his head. Are you high? I don't go to JSU, sir. I don't smoke or do drugs, either. I don't even drink. He looked around, peered down the hallway. Come here, he said with a jerk of his head, and he led me into a nearby conference room. A long press board table dominated the room, scarred by years of board cops. Sit down. He didn't direct me to a specific chair, so I went to the back of the room and sat at the head of the table with my back to the wall. I swear to God I'm not high, and this isn't a joke. He's already killed five people, and he's going to kill me if I don't shut up. He said it mildly, biting his lower lip. Without another word, he knocked once on the table as if to subliminally nail me to the spot and left. Radio chatter gargled from another room. A projector sat on the table in front of me, waiting to beam a PowerPoint presentation onto the white screen hanging by the door. Shit, I thought. Greg is using Jacob for bait, isn't he? And that's all going to go down while I'm sitting here at the freaking police station. Regret began to sink in. I had made the wrong choice. Should have gone straight to Jacob's vet clinic and got him out of there. I got up and went to the door, but the doorknob wouldn't turn. Locked in. Damn, what now? While I was pondering, the door opened and the cop came back in, followed by the guy seen outside with the folder. Folder guy was like a soft-spoken version of Dr. Phil and radiated a sort of trapped energy that made him look as if he were perpetually about to throw a punch. He dropped the folder on the table. I hear you've got a hell of a story to tell, buddy. Dr. Phil was standing way too deep into my personal bubble. I sat back down in my chair, but before I did, I caught the name tag on his shirt. Detective Avery. Yes, sir. And you know who's responsible for the one in Aniston? Stephen Maine's, I think his name is. Yeah, he was my friend. Detective Avery wiped at the corners of corners of his mouth, pulling it into an O. You say this is all the work of a psychopath in a haunted bunny suit? Bear a suit, sir. Possessed by a spirit. A very angry one, judging by the job he did on your friend Steve. My heart sank until it was right up against my stomach. Avery's eyes burned into my face until I had to look away. It was like staring into the sun. Finally, he picked his folder back up and opened the door. Come with me. I have something you ought to see. This sounded important. The patrolman stayed in the conference room while Avery led me down the hallway and around the corner to the door at the end. Behind that was a small room with another desk clerk, a uniformed officer with a ledger sitting on the other side of a desk counter staring at a computer screen. He glanced at Avery. There was another wrong answer buzzer and a nearby door unlocked with a thunk. Avery opened it and ushered me into a hallway of naked center block. Around another corner was the precinct lockup. Four large cells, no cots or toilets. All the cells were empty. He slid the door open on the first cell he came to and shoved me inside, closing the door behind me. I'd like you to sit right here and take a break while we send somebody up to check out your little tall tale. If it turns out you're just flying high, this will make a pretty good spot for you to sober up. I'll come back and talk to you in a little while. This is actually what I came for, Detective, I said, feeling oddly like I'd accidentally maneuvered, maneuvered him into doing what I wanted. Thank you? Don't be a smart ass," said the detective, and he left. Seemed like the perfect time to sit and brainstorm a way of dealing with Dylan if whatever Greg was cooking up didn't pan out. I sat on the bench in the back of the cell and thought about the comments I've been seeing on my posts to Reddit. Burning the bear suit off with acid, stopping Dylan's heart so the suit would think he was dead and come loose. How could I stop his heart in a way that wouldn't leave him permanently injured? A way that would let me bring him back after we got the suit off. He took a shot and a half of ketamine and brushed it off. I didn't have access to that anymore anyway, and who knows what Ashley did with a stun gun. We could electrocute him, maybe. Let him walk into a puddle of water and throw a power cord into it, but that might kill him hard enough that I couldn't bring him back. Hmm, water. A couple of hours later, Avery came back with two patrolmen. The detective leaned against the bars with one foot kicked up like an old cowboy resting on a ranch fence. One of his friends was the guy I'd spoken to when I first got here. He stood behind Avery with his thumbs tucked into his belt. The other officer had his back against the bars on the other side of the corridor, texting someone on his cell phone. He looked distracted, but he kept shooting me cold glances, multitasking. Y'all think I did it, don't you? I asked Avery. Right now, I don't know what to think. His words said helpless confusion, but his tone was more exasperation and accusation. You do think I did it? Now that ain't what I'm saying, son. He fetched a heavy sigh. (sighs) What's your name? Mine's Mike Avery. Cody Garner. Like I said, ain't nobody saying that's what right now. What's what right now? All I know is that I got two dead folks up on the mountain, and a fella says the man that did it is possessed by the devil. Not the devil, I said. An 18th century French fur trapper. What the hell ever? Blurted the cop, typing on his phone, scowling. He looked like he was the same age as me. Avery eyed him over his shoulder and turned back to me. I guess I have to admit it don't sound good after all. I do want to ask you why didn't you call the police? Police, he said, glancing at the floor, glancing at the floor as he said it. When you found those folks down in up, why did you run off and keep it to yourself? Because I was there when it happened. I saw the bear suit make Dylan kill both of them. I just wanted to get the hell out of there before he gave me some of their medicine too. I cleared my throat. I guess I was just so shook up, and I didn't think you would believe me or you would think I did it, that all I could think of was to go straight to Ashley's house to make sure she was okay. This Ashley, said Avery, is she your girlfriend? No, she wasn't. Wasn't? She was killed up on the mountain. The big blonde cop handed Warner a card that looked like a driver's license. Warner took it and glanced at it and then slipped it into his shirt pocket. Son, what I'm seeing here is some kind of love triangle that went real south real fast. What? I was aghast. And you're trying to blame it on some phantom maniac. I think you and the Stephen fellow were butting heads over this Ashley girl. And when you lost your cool, the whole thing blew up in your face. What I don't understand is what the Summeralls had to do with it. This deduction was so ludicrous, I almost laughed. You're out of your mind, fool, I said, my anger making me bold. I don't kill people. I put books in alphabetical order and scoop copies of Maximum out of toilets at the bookstore. You're a pervert that dresses up like an animal to get your rocks off of your fellow perverts is what you are, said phone cop. Was that not enough that you need to kill now? Shane, said Detective Avery, his dry country accent turning cold. Go see if Debbie has any trash that needs to take out. Shane recoiled in indignation at being ordered around, but he left, jamming his phone into his trouser pocket. This story you've dreamed up is some truly sketch garbage, I told Detective Avery. You go to the vet clinic where Jacob Preston works. Greg Sumrall should be there. I think Greg is using Jacob as bait to catch Dylan and kill him to get the bear suit off. Mr. Garner, I'm going to need you to be straight with me and quit it with this bullshit bear suit story. Say that three times fast. Look, I said finally, getting up off the cot and wrapping my own hands around the bars. My face was inches from Avery's, which prompted the big patrolman to step forward. This close I could see his name tag, Sergeant Bentley. This is all getting a little too meta for me. Surely, surely you've watched enough horror movies to know you're doing the same thing all those asshole skeptics in those kinds of movies do. Yeah, I know what I'm telling you is a little hard to grasp, but I'll bet you a dime to a dollar that Bear Kills is going to come walking in here any minute with a fucking axe to convince you I'm not full of crap. A smile teased the corner of Avery's mouth. So if you don't have anything to charge me with, I continued, let me out so I can go make sure Summerall hasn't got my friend killed. But real life ain't like these horror movies you keep talking about, said Avery. He backed up off the bars and stuck his hand in his slacks' pockets, Some jingling change. If you're being held on suspicion, there ain't shit you can demand from me or this man standing here for 72 hours. Bachelors in criminal justice, motherfucker! Sergeant Bentley made heavy metal devil horns with his hands crossing his arms over his chest. You ain't as smart as you think you are. He was wagging his tongue at me when the lights went out, blinding all three of us. The air conditioner died with a death rattle. What did I tell you? I said into the darkness. Bentley and Avery stood motionless in front of me, listening. I heard the detectives' oxford's creak With a hard clack, the emergency lights came on, humming like live wires. The yellow beacons on the walls turned what was once a cold cell block into an aquarium full of piss, a sick, honey-colored abattoir. The detective stared at me as if I was responsible, and gradually I could smell burning dust from the beacons. Finally, he turned to the sergeant standing next to him. Go check the breaker box. Bentley unlocked my cell, came in with me, and shut the door in Avery's face. Fuck that noise. Avery shook his head in astonishment. You want me to do your job for you? Fine. I'll go get Shane and make him do it. I hope you were pulling him for a week off with no pay, Sergeant Vagina. With that, he turned and walked out of the cell block. What about your criminal justice degree? I asked Bentley, peering through the bilious yellow haze. The lights made him look like a Simpsons character. The graveyards are full of people with degrees, said Bentley. I snorted and sat down on the bench again. Let's say I believe this goofy-ass crap you're saying about a possessed bear costume, that you're not blowing smoke up our asses. What were you planning on doing about it? Well, I said, my original plan was to come here, let you lock me up to keep me safe, and let that Greg guy deal with it. I told him about how the Summeralls has been using the suit as a scam, selling it to unspe- unsuspecting people waiting for it to kill them, and then killing the host and taking the suit back. I also told him about how Eric's mother had gotten stuck in the suit and they'd had to blow her brains out. I get the feeling Greg was the younger brother that moved away and didn't want, have any- want to have anything to do with it, I said. I wouldn't either, if all that about their mother is true. Bentley made a face. That's some rough shit. But after I realized he was using my friend Jacob as bait, I said, I decided I needed to get out of here and go after him myself. If I I had a plan beyond that if it'll work, if I can do it, if he doesn't kill me when I try it. Bentley leaned against the bars, peering down the hallway at an angle. God damn it. I'm going to have to go check on Avery, ain't I? You'll stay in the cell, I said, if you know what's good for you. He sighed, scowling back at me and unlocked the cell, letting himself out. He shut the door again, locking it. You stay your ass in here, he told me, tossing the keys. Don't come out unless I tell you to. I nodded. He strode off toward the front of the building, and just before the blocked door thudded shut, I heard the slurp of his pistol coming out of his holster. The next few minutes were agony, sitting in yellow shadows, waiting for the cop to come back. For lack of anything else to do, I stared at my hands and found them trembling. Suddenly, they looked like a little boy's hands. Soft, thin, graceless, inept. "'What the shit is going on?' the cell block sergeant. He'd gotten up from behind his little counter and was peering through the half-open door. "'You need to get in here with me,' I told him. He said nothing, just gave me a weird look and shut the door. The silence stretched into ten, fifteen minutes. Then I heard the first of the gunshots, a paper bag pop, muffled by a half-dozen brick walls. It was followed by two more, then another interminable stretch of electric silence. "'Bentley?' I shouted, I shouted, shouted into the yellow quiet. Avery, the wrong answer buzzer again, and the door flew open. It was Bentley at a full run. He wriggled through the door and ran to the cell, fumbling his keys out. Shit, 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 What happened? I asked him. The block sergeant followed him into the cell block, waddling awkwardly as if he had some kind of old war wound, probably a Desert Storm veteran. The front door eased shut behind him on a ho- hydraulic piston as he came in. Hey, Bent. Are you going to tell me what the hell is going on, or I have to guess? Bentley unlocked my cell and got in with me, waving the block sergeant in. Get your ass in here, Thomas. A red blade slipped through the gap in the block door, and the door closed on it. Get in here now. The hell? Asked the block sergeant. Dillon pulled the door open and lunged into the cell block, bringing the machete down on the back of the sergeant's head. Thomas's eyes bulged outward like some kind of morbid muppet. Blood squirted out of his nose and he pitched forward onto his belly. Bentley slammed the cell door and backed away from it. The bear man snatched his machete out of the dead cop's skull and walked toward us. Dylan stood in front of the cell staring at us, his shoulders heaving up and down with every breath. He looked even more disheveled than before. The bear's fur napped up in whorls and curls with dried blood, like a teddy bear that had been through a washing machine full of wine. The stubby fingers of Dylan's naked right hand were so tight on the machete handle, his knuckles were white spikes. The smell of dirty diapers and pennies floated into the cell. I got the feeling Dylan Gilchrist did shit his sweatpants inside the inescapable bear suit. What the fuck? Wheezed Bentley. What the fuck? What the fuck? I told you! I shouted, throwing an open hand to the fuming killer. Ta-da! Voila! Presto! Here he is! He was under the sheet the whole time. He can't get us in here. We're safe. I shot him three times, said the cop. It's the suit. It's bullet resistant. Or maybe they're going in, but the suit's keeping him on his feet. I don't know. It's a long story. Didn't you say he was a fur trapper? Yes. Don't fur trappers shoot game with guns? Dillon continued to pant like a slavering horse watching us. Abruptly, I understood why Bentley was concerned. Thomas's corpse still had a service weapon holstered in it. All Dylan has to do is pivot, pull out Thomas's gun, and shoot the both of us. I don't know, I offered. Did they have guns in the 1700s? I had them in the 1800s, I know, Civil War and shit. Muzzle letters, maybe? Would I even understand a modern gun? Said the cop. Hell if I know. The bare man's left claw rose up and curled around one of the bars in the cell door. Bracing himself, Dylan shook the bars ferociously and growled something in French, a guttural string of nonsense filtered through layers of hair and leather. What's he saying? asked Bentley. How the hell should I know? Do I look French to you? Something was weird about the cell door. The more Dylan shook it, the more I noticed it until it finally hit me. The bear man paused, looking at the gap between the door and the wall. Bentley had slammed the cell door, but it had bounced out of the latch a half inch without locking. Both of us choked as Dylan wrenched the cell door to the side, throwing it open. Bentley scuttled backwards, pressing himself against the wall next to me. Shit, he hissed, and drew his pistol firing into Dylan's chest. Just like the locker room of the Roanoke Church, the gunshots whacked painfully through my skull, b- noise bouncing around the concrete floor and walls like a brass pinball. Dylan staggered with each shot, sidling back into the corridor. As soon as the pistol slide racked back on an empty chamber and caught, Bentley threw it down and grabbed the cell door with every intention of slamming it shut again. The instant Bentley's fingers slipped through the bars, Dylan whacked one of his hands with a machete. The cop screamed and flinched away, scrambling, almost falling. Blood watercolored the floor between his oxfords. Surging, to, surging toward the open door, the mad spirit of Gaetan Delacroix raised the machete to bring it down on my forehead. But as he stepped into the cell, a shape came up behind him and pointed a TV remote at his back. The tip cracked open like a party popper and blew a handful of glittering confetti all over the cell. The man seized up and his knees buckled. <laughs> he screamed, dropping onto his back and jittering like an epileptic. Detective Avery stood over him. Holding an expended taser. Sweet Jesus, I thought you were a fucking dad, said Bentley, picking up his pistol and holstering it.
0: Uh, I'm sorry, I thought Brent was
2: going to jump in, but my my mute wouldn't unmute. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll cut cut off that shit here. I, I, I absolutely loved that um, first of all I'm a, I'm a big fan of the uh, you know first person smart ass character uh, <laughs> and, you know you told us that that character was key in your writing and and I hear it there you know even just in that excerpt from a short story uh, I feel like I know so much about uh, about the character I feel like I know so much about the, the officers um, that was a lot of fun thank you for uh, thank you for doing that. Now, before we wrap up, do you have anything upcoming you'd like to plug?
1: Well, I'm actually working on writing a audio drama for a podcast feature called John Carpenter Presents.
0: That's so cool.
1: John Carpenter, the creator of Halloween, it's going to come out from Realm Podcasts. Should come out later this year, I think, maybe around winter time. Um, it's a supernatural gothic horror about this girl who's in college and she manages. she goes to um, summon a guardian angel to help her with chronic pain, you know, and uh, instead she uh, summons a biblically accurate angel. And it just kind of turns out real bad for everybody. As one
2: does.
0: <laughs> that is. I, I just got to ask, like. That, I would imagine, is a dream come true to work with Sandy and John. How, oh, how, yeah. do, you, how do you feel?
1: Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how I've processed it yet fully.
0: <laughs> fair. Very fair.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm really proud and really grateful to be able to work with them. I haven't gotten to talk to them yet. Maybe mm-hmm. I will at some point. I don't know. I know that um, I'm friends with Sandy on Twitter, so that's cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, John and Sandy get the the last veto on whatever I send them, so. The creator of Halloween is going to read my work. Oh, my gosh.
0: So, Uh-oh. and, and <laughs> not... <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, Brennan, but not only Halloween, but so yeah. many very, very critical and, uh, uh, I guess, uh, instrumental, for lack of a better word, um, horror films throughout
1: the and Yeah, and escape, yeah, an escape from New York and just all kinds of stuff. They the live, Thing. The Thing, yeah. yeah. Brennan, what were you going to
2: say, man? Oh, I, was, I was just going to say it seemed like it just hit at that moment. <laughs> the the gravity of uh of uh john and sandy carpenter reading you know being the end of the line on something you wrote that's wild and good for you
0: yeah seriously
1: this audio drama is supposed to be something kind of like a mix between the thing and um like a 90s teen horror slasher kind of thing kind of scream i guess
0: very cool you know what uh i guess this leads us to where can people follow you
1: um i'm on facebook as samara hunt i'm on twitter as essay hunt and you can find pretty much everything else at my website essayhuntbooks.com
0: brennan uh before i wrap everything up please say whatever you have to say and uh samara whatever you have to say please let
2: us know any final thoughts you, you can't, uh, two people at once, we've been through this. That's true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is, sorry, brain's not working tonight. I apologize, Samara, my bad.
1: That's uh, totally fine. Brennan go... <laughs> <laughs> Brennan, go ahead, sorry. You go first.
2: <laughs> I just want to say uh, thank you for joining us and for for doing that wonderful reading. Uh, we appreciate your time and uh, and your candor. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun
0: and uh, you know what I echo what Brennan said that was a really cool story I love it It makes me want to just read more of your books and I hope that that is what happens to listeners I hope they want to go and buy more of your stories I hope Uh, so too (laughs) really appreciate your time Uh, meant a lot Brennan and I wanted to at least have you on for uh, a little talk for a while so we really appreciate this and uh, for our listeners, next episode of our spotlights mini series is with Mark Allen Gunnels. Not too sure what he's going to read, but he's got quite the collection, uh, quite the bibliography. So, thank you for your time, and uh, Samira Brennan. Appreciate you both. Thank you very much, listeners. You have many choices in podcasts.
2: Thank you for picking us.